second edition of the From the Toffee Ball football podcast. This week I've got um, my friend who's a special guest who's kind of an adopted Welshman. Um, so welcome Luke. Do you want to introduce yourself? Thank you mate. Yeah, an adopted Welshman. I've spent, I've spent years denying that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very much adopted if anything. I've got a Welsh daughter so I suppose I, I very much am part Welsh these days. Basically this week we want to come back to Britain and talk about English football on the last podcast we looked at the World Cup and Asia but through doing the Toffee Bowl I found out that people throughout the world follow English football and mm-hmm. um, Luke's, Luke's kind of travelled a bit and he's, he's followed his team Sunderland in different parts of the world and I kind of wanted to talk about English football and why it is so global and why the Premier League especially is such a well-watched sport around the world. Over over three billion people watch Premier League football every season. Um, so basically, I guess my first question to you, Luke, was why do you love English football? First off, before we go any further, I think I think probably first of all I should stress I love English football minus Sunderland. There's not an awful lot to love about the style of football they play. Um, but I think I think the game itself is so enticing because it's so much faster than a lot of, of football, particularly on the continent and Europe. Um, and it's so much more direct. And that in itself has it makes it much more watchable. It makes it much more enjoyable. Um, the the chances come more through. And I suppose you're on the edge of your seat more. It's kind of like, like watching a uh, an action movie in that sense. The action comes thick and fast, and therefore you tend to enjoy it much more. That's that's my overriding feeling. Um, I think, you know, obviously other than my love of, I have a vested interest in it. I suppose watching it as a as an outsider, you get to see the enjoyment that of of the game as a neutral. Following the Premier League this season, not something as football fans we really like is the idea that lots of people enjoy watching the football on a television box rather than being at a match. But mm-hmm. one of the things that kind of this pandemic has done is like football in England especially with the pandemic being so rife in the UK, football has really kept people interested and talking. And I think in some cases, probably a bit sane. Yeah, definitely. I, I would definitely go with that. I think um, I think football, particularly English football, like you, there's, there's, a, there's fairy tale after fairy tale with English football. Um, you know, whether you go to uh, Liverpool winning it after 30 years last year, um, you know, them coming so close the year before, Wigan winning the FA Cup, Birmingham City winning the League Cup, all these things have happened in the last decade or so. There seems to be a love of English football um, and the fairy tales that they provide, you know, um, and I think that's a big part of it as well. There's almost a story that comes with watching English football that maybe a lot of people can't can't relate to um, watching watching football on the continent. 
Yeah, I mean, I was speaking to an Indian guy last week about this, you know, I've been doing some work for, and he's a big football fan. And he was saying, like, one of the things he loves about football was he's doing a series of, like, YouTube videos on football songs. And he was like, a lot of, like, English football chants um, are just so popular. And, like, around mm -hmm. the world, people just love them. And I don't know, there's something about, like, Eng English football fans. Um, They're but, universal, aren't they? Yeah. They're universal, definitely. Mm -hmm. The like songs are, the, the the songs are very. It's very tribal. Football's very tribal, and the songs that are sung at English football are very, very easy to be part of. Whether you're a, whether you're a fan of it or not. I mean, probably the the genuinely the most enjoyable game I've ever been to live um, had nothing to do with my own club. I, I went to watch Doncaster Rovers play Fulham in the League Cup when I was working in London, London a few years ago, um, and because the songs that they sung were universal songs with just essentially the name of a player changed, I was able to get involved and I was able to feel part of it. Yeah. And that's something that, that yes, I'm, I, I suppose I speak the English language, but um, even if you don't speak the English language, you can still get involved in those sorts of chants. And suppose, I suppose from a, a, a um, an international point of view, it gets you, it makes you feel like you're, you're part of it. You can engross yourself in it. And that's a big, big part of it. This is a feeling I've got um, from speaking to people, especially in East Asia anyway, is most people in East Asia can at least speak some sort of English. So mm -hmm. they feel that even like they can get on board with it as maybe that they couldn't with German football, Spanish football yeah. or French football, because they, they do know a little bit of English so they can get on board. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes they just like to say players' names just to practice. Um, I, I, I don't know if this is a topic you want to come on to a little bit later, but when I went to, um, I did a lot of traveling around Africa in, in kind of my early 20s. Yeah. Um, so what's that, 28 years ago or so. Um, and it was the year that Chelsea won the Champions League. And uh, and everywhere I went, um, particularly in West Africa. So I, I went to Togo, I went to the Ivory Coast, I went to, um, I, I went to Ghana. I spent a lot of time in Ghana. It seems that everybody has an affiliation to a team that has um, a, a depth of, of, of African players, not necessarily Ghanaian players, but African players. Um, and suppose, you know, at the time, it, it, Sunderland themselves had a lot of African players. We had Asamoah Gyan, who's the, you know, he's, he's the leading goal scorer for the, for the Black Stars. Um, we had John Mensa, we had Salim Antari, all these players had, had either just played for Sunderland or were currently at the club. And so Sunderland had this really weird following in, in, uh, in, those African countries because they 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 were where African players played and Chelsea are or were the kind of the leading Premier League club because they had a host of African African players as well so that in itself was kind of where where the game was growing there and why these teams were growing was because they, they were a hotbed for for African talent Michael Essien um, was Ghanaian he played for for Chelsea um, I think at the time uh, Solomon Kalou although he's Nigerian, played for Chelsea. Um, you know, Chelsea had this real hotbed of, of African Drogba players. As well, of course. Didier Drogba, of course, played, you know, he's from the Ivory Coast. Um, and so they were, you know, they had this real hotbed of, of um, African talent. And I suppose where it differs from anywhere else I've been in the world is that, that uh, African people tend to want Africans to do well. Um, 
Whereas that's perhaps a little bit different here in Europe. You know, we, we have rivalries with other countries like, you know, the, the Germans and the French and, you know, the Argentinians in South America. Um, whereas actually it doesn't matter kind of um, personal rivalries go out the window when those personal rivalries aren't affected. So Ghanaians wanted Nigerians to do well and Nigerians wanted South Africans to do well and South Africans, you know, um, wanted Tongalese people to do well. You know, all of these things are, all of these things are, are, are fantastic. Um and I suppose that's where um, that, that's where African football is growing. Or sorry, that's where English football is growing on the continent and, and around the world is that we have such an international breadth of players. And the hope is that will continue as well. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's a little bit of a worry, um, not wanting to be too political, but I think it's important to mention. There's a little bit of a worry with Brexit coming in and the ability to sign players from different countries being slightly more difficult. Mm-hmm. There's a worry that clubs are going to be a bit more inward thinking. And for me, I think part of what makes English football so good is there's so many different football cultures all coming together and creating this kind of like world football league almost. Yeah, I I recall a few a few years ago um, there was talk about obviously we have the the um, registered players rule in England, um, and I remember just before that was introduced the talk of of why would you sign an English player when you can go to the continent and get someone for for half the price with twice the talent, um, and I suppose that has been really influential in helping the grow, the game grow on an international basis, um, not just in places like the Far East and Africa and and north america but actually more you know closer to home as well like you know in uh, in europe and in scandinavia and and you know the middle east english football is huge and it's because we have i think such an like i said such an international breadth of players um you know we are at the last count i think it's something like 197 nationalities have played in the premier league or something like that now um you know that that's an astonishing number, um, and definitely one hundred percent an influencing factor on on why it's so popular. Because of course, if you tune in to watch your favourite um, your favourite German footballer, and then your favourite German footballer leaves, but you've already fallen in love with this club that they played for, and so you might not watch them every week, but you check for their results, and actually when they're on the telly, you'll tune into them, and suddenly that's how it grows. And then your mate comes around one week, and your mate watches, you know, your mate watches Leicester City as well, and he loves Leicester City, um, and and then the next week he he takes a different a different friend to a bar that's showing Leicester City play Manchester City, and that friend likes Manchester City, and that's kind of how it grows because you have you have like I said such such a varying nationalities and, and as a result have all these um, these interests in the in the game. Yeah, and one thing I think is quite interesting is like, I don't know if it's a way of life in England, but a lot of these footballers seem to be very welcomed by the fans. I mean, I'm not, not wanting, unfortunately, we're having a bit of a racism issue in English football currently or British football, even mm-hmm. world football currently. But that's always a very small minority. And there's a very large majority of English football fans that really accept these players from different parts of the world. Like Didier Drogba was a Chelsea legend. I think Didier Drogba is an English football legend. I think you'd be hard-pressed. Even the, the most die-hard of, of West Ham fans and Manchester United fans would begrudgingly give Didier Drogba the respect that he did, he rightly deserves. Um, you know, he, he, took, he took the English game to a whole new level in... Um, the Ivory Coast, you know, in 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 Africa, he he made being a big, powerful, six foot five centre forward 
glamorous. Um, you know, he 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 was just a phenomenal player, and you know he would he would resonate people people could resonate with that. You know, I'm not six foot five, but I'm a bit of a brute, and I see somebody like that play in the Premier League, and I still think even as I approach 31, maybe that calls on its way. <laughs> um, you know, but 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 I, of course I digress. But he, you know, he's he players like that take the game to a different level and to a different audience, and that audience breeds its own audience. No, it does. And one thing I think is really interesting is just the fact that you could go to like a little bar in Ivory Coast or in Tongo or in Taiwan, um, and you could watch an English Premier League game and you could probably have a chat with someone about what's going on on the pitch. I'm just wondering, is there ever, have you ever watched an English football game in a very strange location and been, been surprised by the interest? The absolute highlight of my, my football watching life um, was in, on the aforementioned trip to, to Ghana. Um, Chelsea played Bayern Munich in the Champions League and the, the village I stayed was a tiny little village called Frankenhua, full of the most beautiful beautiful kind natured people you could possibly imagine that made me feel welcome and and they were friendly and they were just fantastic people um but of course the night of the champions league um it was midweek at the time as well i think so no, it, was a um, it was a saturday it was a saturday was it yeah. well um but, yeah. but the, the, the village i was staying it had a population of five thousand people um and electricity was was scarce to say the least i think there was you know a couple of shops maybe and the police station and the police station was also the only place that had a TV. And so the night of the Champions League final, from about seven o'clock onwards, I was gathered around um, a TV set, just like, well, not even just like anybody else's TV set, because it must have been 30 years old. Um, you know, one of the, one of those big square box type TVs. Um, and I sat and watched the Champions League final um, on, on, a, on a fuzzy screen, probably surrounded by by close to 200 people, um, all in the courtyard of this police station, including the police officers. Um, and I was given, I, I was given very much kind of VIP status. Um, and I got a seat right at the front and I was kind of center. I had nobody in my way. Um, and of course, as I already touched on, everyone is a Chelsea fan. Everyone. Um, and for that night, I became a Chelsea fan. Um, I, I've never, I don't think outside of my own club, I've ever wanted a team to win as much. And when they won, it was absolutely insane. There were people in the streets, there were people driving their cars, they were beeping their horns. Um, it, it was just utter carnage. It, it really was 100, 200 people literally dancing in the street. Um, it, it was just phenomenal. It's, it's, it's a memory that I'll, I'll never truly be able to articulate how good that feeling was when Chelsea won the Champions League just to be a part of that and, and you know Drogba scored in the final um, and, and kind of that in itself was its own story especially when it looked for so long I say for so long for as we were going right to the end of the game that Bayern Munich were going to win um, it, it was it was just magical it was just incredible um, and, and genuinely outside of watching my own club that's probably the feeling that's that's given me the best feeling of watching watching a team win It's um, it's quite funny um, you talk about that game because that was literally the worst day of my football support in life. Because, oh, yeah. and the reason why I know it was a Saturday was because my own team, Hibs, lost in the Scottish Cup final to Hearts 5 1. Right, okay, today. okay. And I remember watching the Chelsea Bayern Munich um, final in a pub in Edinburgh and literally not even being able to like 
hold back the tears. I was so upset that my side had lost five one in a cup final to their biggest. Yeah, player. I can imagine, mate. I can imagine. I am, um, but yeah, like just just that feeling of being being part of something like that, and you know the 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 song. The songs in Africa are different as well. A football chant in in Ghana, it felt like a song. It felt like you were part of something. Um, and of course, I I don't know the words. I don't know what they're singing. I don't know what they're saying. But I was just so incredible to be part of that. Um, I suppose you hear it. You hear a lot of talk at football stadiums about atmosphere and energy and and everything. And it was it was it was there tenfold to anything you're experiencing in an English football stadium. Um, and it was these people that were. We're just watching their their own people, um, you know, people that were just like them, Drogba, Essien, yeah. Kalu, um, you know, young young men from from villages similar to them, um, succeed and 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 on the the biggest stage possible in world football, um, and it, it was just incredible, mate. And if I could if I could relive any moment from my from my sport following life, it would be it would be that that kind of few hour period of watching that game and. And experiencing the highs and the lows of, of it all. It kind of um, hearing this, it kind of makes me think that I'm going to have to do a podcast on African football. Yeah, me. I could tell you an awful lot about African uh, league football. Yeah. I, I know the standard is a bit is a bit ropey. Is probably the the best way to put it. But certainly on an international stage, um, the African Cup of Nations was on. Whilst I was there, it was either the African Cup of Nations uh, was on or it was just about to start. Um, and and it's it's really strange. If your team is not involved in a match, they want everyone. They they want both teams teams to win. It's it's the strangest mentality, but such an enjoyable way to watch football. Um, so maybe maybe a podcast on African international football is 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 a way to go and kind of exploring the the rivalries and the love affair of of different teams. Yeah, because I'm assuming um, going a little bit off topic, but um, I'm assuming that. In Africa, there must be fans who don't like each other. There must be teams that don't like each other. If Ghana play Nigeria, they hate each other. Yeah. But if if Ghana play England, then the Nigerians only won one winner, and it isn't it isn't England. Um, it's 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 such a surreal it's such a surreal way to watch football because if if Sunderland play Newcastle, I want Sunderland to win fifty 0 If Newcastle play Manchester United, I want Manchester United to win fifty 0 If Newcastle play Chelsea, I want Chelsea to win 50-0. Like I, I want them to lose. I want them to lose by the po- biggest possible margin every time they play. Uh, it's not like that. It's not like that um, in Africa. It's just it's an incredible way to watch football and um, and particularly to watch a team that, that you're so familiar with um, in Chelsea as it was for me. Um, it, it was just it was just incredible. Absolutely incredible. Did they have... Um, so all their chants were in local languages. Yeah, they weren't... They didn't have to chant in England. Yeah, they, they weren't really chants. They were... They were songs. It's really, it's, it's you know, um, yeah. It, it's really hard to explain. They they would sing about Essien and they would sing about Drogba and they would sing about Solomon Kalou, um, and it would be it was a song. It was and yeah, it was in it was in local dialects and it was in local languages. But it was it was songs instead of chants. You know, uh, none of the none of the. Get the ball to Drogba and he will score, sort of stuff. It was it was really songs and it was it was love and it was passionate and it was just incredible, mate. It really was. Like I, I feel like I'm not articulating it and doing it justice, um, just to how good uh, good a night that was. It sounds like it could be a documentary in itself, to be honest. 
I'm all for, I'm all for getting that filmed. If somebody else wants to send me send me back with it with a TV crew, um, and Chelsea kindly want to get to the Champions League final again, then yeah, let's let's do it. Let's relive it. I I used to live in Taiwan, and uh, I would watch quite a lot of football in Taiwan. And like one of the reasons why this interests me, this topic was. You could speak. You could you could meet someone in the street wearing a Liverpool top, or you could meet someone in the street wearing a Man United top, and then you say to them, "Oh, who? When when are Taiwan next playing? Or how do I get a ticket to watch Taiwan? Or who's Taiwan's best player?" And they couldn't tell you. Mm-hmm. Yet they could tell you what Liverpool starting eleven is going to be. Something else I f- I found quite quite incredible um, when I've when I've travelled on the continent, and I and I've I've you know I've been to a few places. I've been to India. I've you know I've been to Singapore. I've been to those places, but football wasn't the primary topic when I was there. So so I keep referring to Africa for that reason because that is why I was there. Um, people could speak no English whatsoever, have no no English at all, but they would see you in a football top and they could tell you a player and they could tell you that player's name in English. Um, which in itself is a really weird thing that maybe on a deeper level football is te- teaching people English. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's such an incredible, it's an incredible thing to think about when you, you think about it on a deeper level. Well, I, I kind of feel that football teaches you so much. I know that there's, there's schools that would teach maths through like football players or like transfer fees. Um, and I know that a lot of my geography and a lot of my flag knowledge is because of football. I mean, football is, it has its flaws. Of course it does. But football for me is a game that brings so many people together and educates people in so many different levels. Like, again, going back to kind of the Black Lives Matter movement, there's obviously been negativity about it, but in the all, 95% of people in the UK are behind and behind it. Oh, that's my kind of feeling anyway. Um, and the taking of the knee, it's showing that people really care about these issues. And then you've got Marcus Rashford, who pretty much has become the opposition to the Conservative Party in the UK now. A footballer from a very poor background in Manchester is now the biggest political influence on the Tory government now. And I mean, he wouldn't have yeah. that platform if it wasn't for football. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, football, football generally gives the world so much. I am, um, again, not to be too political, but to, to see um, to see Matt Hancock, who's our health secretary, come out and criticise footballers um, for their for their lack of, I suppose, lack of action at the start of the pandemic last year and to see so many people back those footballers um, to say actually they contribute four billion pounds a year in taxes. They do so much in their communities. And um, when it would have been so easy to sit and, and and slate them and say, oh yeah, they're just you know they're overpaid, overpaid, overhyped footballers. Um, people I think are beginning to see now the the positive impact that football and footballers have on society as as a whole. Um, but not just here, but 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 internationally as well. And, and yeah, I suppose that kind of links in a little bit with what you're saying about Rashford. Something that I think I would be be really keen to get your viewpoint on is what is the biggest export of internet of English football. Um, I have my own views, but I'd be interested to know what you think the biggest export from English football is on an international level. I think a lot of it's just the footballing culture through speaking with people who aren't British. 
a lot of why they got into English football rather than Spanish football, etc., is the fact that it's English as well. It's in English. They can watch, they can always watch games with a commentary that they understand as well. The fan culture, the people like chance at games, the the way I think also the way in which footballers are promoted, English footballers in in the Premier League, not English footballers, but English yeah, yeah. in the English in the English Premier League are very easily accessible. So you kind of feel like you can have a connection with them. And I think that helps um, to a wider audience. So yeah, I've got a chat with like Korean Americans. I'm on like a group football chat with Korean Americans. And quite a few of them are Arsenal fans. And like, they, they say to me how much they love um, Kieran Tierney. And I'm like, a Korean American loves Kieran Tierney. That's really yeah, yeah. But they say, oh, because they watch interviews with him and they, they hear mm. him talk, they see his social media. And I think it's because obviously they always interact in English rather than say like a Messi yeah. or anyone else like that. Like they just feel like, I feel like it's because they can connect to the teams, they can yeah. connect to the fans. They feel they feel like they could be part of the when they're watching a game. Yeah. They feel like they could be there and they could be part of that atmosphere and they could be part of that footballing family. Yeah, it's funny you should mention um, the English language actually, and then mention Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi because I've I've had a conversation with people before that I'm convinced that Ronaldo is a bigger international star away from the pitch than Messi almost solely because he speaks English. Um, it's such a huge influencing factor, um, that accessibility. You know, English is the most predominantly used language in the world. Um, you know, French, Spanish, Chinese, obviously huge languages. But English is English is much more of a second language than any of those languages. And so the ability to converse and connect with people through the medium of English makes a huge difference. My, my personal feeling on kind of the biggest export and or the biggest reason for for English football being exported so successfully is probably the England national team. Um, they have so many, or they certainly over the last sort of two decades, three decades, they've had so many genuine footballing superstars. Uh, Wayne Rooney, Steven Gerrard, John Terry, Rio Ferdinand, um, Ashley Cole, you know, David, David Beckham, you know, I, I think we can all cast our minds back to the images of David Beckham stepping off, stepping off the plane in Korea and, and in 2002. Uh, and, and kind of that's only grown. And, and that now is something that would, that sort of, uh, of greeting would, that's what Harry Kane would get now. That's what Marcus Rashford would get. That's, you know, that's what these, um, of course, they're not, they're not mediocre footballers, but they're, they're considered, they're, they're nowhere near the star uh, on a global stage that David Beckham is, and yet that is the sort of greeting that would that would be welcoming them. Um, so I think probably the English national team has had such a huge influence on on the game on a global scale. Um, and then of course the obvious um, the obvious kind of thing to draw to is Sky Sports, Sky TV. You know the, the reason the English game is so big is 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 almost could probably directly be pointed to them. But it's things like you just said about the fact that they, the players can't turn around without somebody having a microphone and them conversing in English. Does that make sense? I, I think there's Sky TV has got so much to answer for in terms of the success of of uh, English football on an international stage. 
that kind of leads me on to kind of the last two things I wanted just to ask you about before we finish up. Um, okay. And the first question is really, is Sky Sports good or bad for English football? I suppose it depends on what angle you attack it from. Um, is it good from English football in a sense that um, it makes it more accessible? I think it does make it more accessible. It makes it more accessible to a very elite few. Maybe elite is the wrong word, but Sky Sports is very expensive. Um, I um, we got rid of. Funny enough, we got rid of Sky Sports in September because my own club are not in the Premier League and we're on Sky three times a year. I can't justify an ex an outlay in excess of six hundred pounds a year just for Sky Sports. So, in in that respect, of course, it's not good for the English game from terms of a, a people watching it perspective but then is good for those people that can't get to games um, you know to use to use my own example against me um, I live 350 miles away from my home stadium the chances are the only time I'm going to get to watch some of the most seasons is is on Sky Sports so it gives that it gives that platform to people as well I think on balance sorry go on yeah, and also obviously the image rights is sold worldwide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think on a on a, on balance, I'd probably say it's done more good than harm. Um, you know, it doesn't appear to have had the the huge impact on stadium attendances that they were worried about back in ninety three, ninety four when the Premier League first came to be. Um, you know, I, I dare say we were all itching to get back into into a stadium. Um, nobody will ever take that that for granted again, but. I think when you consider £60 a month, it's a lot of money. Um, but, you know, there's obviously a market for people to pay it. So I think Sky Sports is a good thing, but I would like to see more English football available on terrestrial TV. Yeah, I think so. I think that's one thing. Like, there's been very few games available on BBC. Okay. And then probably it's now there's been games on Amazon Prime, there's been games on um, Sky, there's been games on BT. I've got all three of those. Um, but a lot of people don't um, yep. and that's a lot of money to mm-hmm. pay to have all three of those subscriptions yep. so I feel like I kind of agree I think generally Sky Sports whatever my feelings are towards Sky politically might differ but my my views on football being on TV is is yeah it's good but it needs to be more affordable, affordable and I think there needs to maybe be someone needs to step in and make it more like more accountable. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we have things like um, we have things like the European Championships and the World Cup, um, Wimbledon, some Formula One, um, you know, some rugby. That that they have to be free to air. A certain portion of it has to be free to air. Uh, and I would like to see something coming in similar to to not not necessarily Premier League football, but English football. Um, obviously, we have the FA Cup that that goes out on BBC. Um, but that's a very, very small portion of football when you consider the, the thousands of games that are played across um, uh, across the, the full English football pyramid. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think the Premier League on balance has been good for football in terms of the quality, in terms of the reach, in terms of the, um, the, the player pay packets, because I certainly... I'm not one of these people that have got an issue with a footballer earning £200,000 a week. Good luck to them. Fair play to them. I haven't got an issue with it. Um, so it's been good to them in that respect. Um, but I would like to see, I, I would just like to see, I think, more games available on, on terrestrial TV. So maybe 
even if it was just a, a, the equivalent to a game a week on terrestrial telly, I think it would make a huge difference. Yeah, and as you say, it doesn't have to be um, a Premier League game. It could be a championship game. And there's plenty of really entertaining games in the championship. Well, that's it. I mean, there's there's plenty of big big enough clubs um, that would draw a crowd uh, or would draw a TV audience on a on a BBC on a BBC Two on a Wednesday night. Yeah. I I think a hundred thousand people would tune in to watch. You know, the game tonight, for example, Sunderland Sunderland um, Sunderland playing Lincoln. A hundred thousand people, two hundred thousand people would tune into that because it's football that's available on terrestrial TV. It's that simple. And, and I just think I would like to see that more. And that, that's probably my, my 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 clear answer on it. You kind of answered it, but I wanted to get like a full answer on it. it. By the time we get back to full attendances in football stadiums, it will probably be two years since the pandemic started. And my question is, do you think that crowds will fall, come back in the same way as they were previously? Do you think... So, one, do you think they will come back in the same way? Do you, or do you think we'll see larger crowds because people will feel so happy that they can go back to football? Or do you think people have got used to sitting at home watching football on TV that they, they're not going back to watching football in stadiums? I think, I think ultimately crowds will remain stable. I don't think we'll see a dip or a rise either way. I think it'll just continue eventually on its natural progression or its natural course. Um, I think what we'll see initially is the first few weekends the football is available to, to live fans in full attendance. We'll see sellouts across the English football pyramid. There will be 46,000 people at Sunderland. There'll be 25,000 people at Bolton. There'll be 78,000 people at Manchester United. Um, you know, the, those crowds will be full. I think what will happen is over time, as people forget because people will forget what it was like um i think crowds would go back to their normal their their previous pre-pandemic levels um which i don't think is necessarily a bad thing um i suppose for the for the smaller clubs that are gonna gonna benefit from um from that initial increase it's kind of spending that money appropriately isn't it no exactly i mean for example i think if hibs for example, my team, Hibs, I think if we were to release season tickets now and we knew that from the start of next season we'd be allowed um, full, full capacity stadium, I think we'd sell out our season tickets. Uh, yeah, I, I would definitely go with that, I think. I think so. Uh, and I really hope, I really hope that fans do return and we do start to see sellout crowds in the mm-hmm. near future. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, even if it's just for the visual aspect on TV, yeah. um, I can't watch a game with without fake crowd noise. If I'm honest, it doesn't feel right. It feels it feels like the intensity isn't there. Even if the players are putting the same intensity in, it doesn't feel like the intensity is there. And um, and you've only got to look at the kind of the stats recently of away wins comparatively to when we have full stadium. The upsets and the shocks are there. So um, yeah, I suppose there's negatives and positives, but I I ultimately would like crowds back as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I've spoken to people who have been to games during pandemics, games that have been played behind closed doors, and they say it is very, very strange. Yeah, yeah, it looks strange, it sounds strange. Yeah, no, definitely. So, last off then, I just want to say thank you very much, Luke, for coming on. Um, I hope that you are now a fan of the Toffee Bowl, um, and I hope that our listeners around the world have enjoyed listening to us talking about football a bit closer to home. 
Nothing, mate. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been good. Hopefully we do it again sometime. Cheers, eh? Well done. Why don't you get a job? Even Tarquin has a job. Mary Berry's got a job. So why don't you get a job? Why don't you get a degree? Even Tarquin has a degree. Mary Berry's got a degree. So why don't you get a degree? Well done. Don't you watch football? Even Tarquin likes football. Trevor Nelson likes football. 